0: Hey there, everyone. Welcome to another episode of the Thinking Christian Podcast. I am your host, Dane Kramer, and want to thank you for coming along today. Thank you for downloading, downloading this. This is episode number 15. We're moving right along. If you'd like to know more about me or the Thinking Christian Podcast, just go to thethinkingchristian.us. That's all one word, thethinkingchristian.us. There you'll be directed to my website, uh, Dane's Place, my main domain, which is featherprop.com. And there you'll you'll find a list of previous podcast episodes. You can download those. Um, There's a lot of other uh, references there on my, or material I should say on my website you can, uh, you can feel free to browse, uh, I think there's some other audio files that you are welcome to have as well, and if you'd like to reach out to me and contact me you can just do it through my website, there's a contact form there on, on the website uh, you can uh, fill it out and just reach out to me if you uh, feel the need to Alright, so today's podcast comes to us via a question that was posed to me on uh, my um, Facebook page called The Feathered Prop. There on my Facebook page I posted uh, podcasts and a listener, uh, a man I don't know, his name is Brent um, on on Facebook, that's how he identifies himself. He posted a a response to one of my previous episodes and I wanted to respond to that today, looking forward to doing that. I appreciate uh, Brent taking the time to... To make a response, Um, he quoted some scripture. You can tell this is a well-thought-out response. He's uh, familiar with uh, scripture, and he articulated his question very well, I believe. So it made me even more interested uh, in responding to that question. So this is uh, something that was posed by Brent, but it's not his question alone. Um, It's a question that I've had. I've had to grapple with it. And it's really about whether or not Jesus made a mistake uh, regarding his return. Did he falsely prophesy? Did he miss something? And it's an important question. And I think it's important because it, it's not just about how do we interpret Scripture. But deeper than that, it's really about whether or not Jesus made a mistake. I mean, if he mis-prophesied, if he if he uttered a false prophecy, then frankly, I'm not on boat. I'm not on board anymore with him. I'm gone. Uh, I'm, I'm looking for the truth and if Jesus made a mistake then he's not my man. You know, it's as simple as that. So it's really an important question to take a look at. And um, again, one that I have given some consideration to because I think it's an important question. um, In in particular, some scripture that Brent had suggested. And I want to take a look at some of those uh, today. The first one is Matthew chapter 16. If you have a Bible, you can go to the last verse of Matthew chapter 16. It's uh, following a discourse that Jesus had with his uh, disciples. And he ends the, the well the chapter ends with Matthew chapter sixteen with verse twenty eight he says, surely I say to you, there are some standing here today uh, there are some standing here who will not taste death until they see the Son of Man coming in his kingdom. I, I say to you, there are some standing here who shall not taste death till they see the Son of Man coming in his kingdom." Now, Brett had also suggested another passage of Scripture, which I think is uh, um, very—it's linked. They're—they're much alike, and so I'll include that. This is from Matthew chapter 26. This is taken from his um, his trial with the Sanhedrin uh, after his arrest and prior to his crucifixion, of course. Um, And there, uh, in in verse 63 of Matthew 26, um, the high priest. Uh, placed Jesus under an oath and made him tell whether or not he was the Christ. And In verse 64, Jesus admits that he was the Christ, or that's the Greek word, the the Hebrew word is Messiah. He, He admitted that he was the Messiah. And then he added, Nevertheless I say to you, Hereafter you shall see the Son of Man sitting at the right hand of the power and coming on the clouds of heaven. Now these two verses are very important because what it sounds like, Jesus is saying, is that in Matthew 16, there are some standing there who would not taste death till they see him. In Matthew 26, he tells the Sanhedrin that they would also see him coming. And as Brett pointed out, it has been pointed out by many different people, uh, he's not come back. And if, in, G- in fact, Jesus was referring to his second coming, he's missed it and so uh, that's a really really important question to ask and I believe a very important question to answer so I'm gonna spend a little time today talking about my response to that question and um, just walk through with it with you uh, to show you how, how how I make sense of all of this But first thing uh, we have to well let me give you an example of what I'm about to say I grew up in the 60s and the 70s watching cartoons and um, there was a show called The Flintstones. You may or may not have heard of it, but the, the theme song ended with a line, you'll have a gay old time. That's the last line of the Flintstones theme song. You'll have a gay old time. Now, back in the late 60s and early 70s, when I watched that cartoon, that meant you'll have a happy time. And uh, the problem is, is today the word gay no longer really is used for happy. Uh, It spells the same, looks the same, pronounced the same, but it has a different meaning. And therefore the word gay would mean something completely different than it did back in the late 60s and early 70s when I was watching the Flintstones. And the point that I'm trying to make is that when we try to understand what someone, let's say in the Bible, is saying or thinking or writing we have to try to understand what they meant at their time. We have to understand what they were implying, what they were thinking. We can't necessarily look through, look at Scripture through our own lenses and how we understand words and phrases or how we might anticipate things. For example, listen to the Flintstones song today and you would have a, a completely different meaning than the original what songwriter intended, I suppose, or the singers who sang it. And therefore, when we come to Scripture, it's sort of like the same task. We have to understand what did the Bible writers mean when they wrote the things that they said? What did the, the speakers that they were quoting mean when they said those particular words? We can't look at them and make um, an assumption that, well, this is what it means because this is what it means to me. Uh, we have to understand what they would uh, intend it to mean. So I want to take a look at that here uh, today on this episode. But first, Matthew chapter 16, Jesus tells his listeners that there were some standing there t- that day who would not taste death until they see His coming in, in His, until He, they see the Son of Man. That's the phrase Jesus used often for Himself, coming in His kingdom. Now, uh, there, are, there are two ways that Christians have interpreted this uh, that I've heard, and I'll, I'll begin, I want to talk about them, but I want to begin by telling you that I'm not really favorable to either of them, but I just want to talk about them briefly here. The first, I've heard some suggest that what Jesus really means here in Matthew chapter 16 is what happens in Matthew 17, uh, which Matthew 17 is really just uh, just about a week or a little less than a week later. And in Matthew chapter 17 we have the very famous well-known um, Mount of Transfiguration moment where Jesus takes a few of his disciples up, up to this mountain and there he's transfigured before them. His, his clothing and his, his uh, skin take on a completely different appearance. His glory is revealed to them. Uh, they see Moses and Elijah standing with Jesus and talking with him. And some Christians believe that in Matthew 16 that he was referred. to what some disciples would see in Matthew 17. They would see his glory. Now, I said I'm not favorable to that. And the reason why I'm not favorable to that interpretation is because Jesus said there are some standing here who will not taste death till they see it. Now, that kind of implies, in my opinion, that some would taste death. And it's, it's kind of overkill if Jesus is really trying to describe an event that happens a week later you know to say well there's some that are standing here today who won't die till that happens and yet he's referring to an event that, that's going to take about you know six or seven days to occur uh, it's just overkill it, it, it doesn't make sense um, my wife and I hold weekly Bible studies at our house by the way everyone's invited and um we, uh, you know, if someone were to come up to me and say, "Hey, Dane, when's our next Bible study?" and I'll say, "Well, I'll tell you this: there are some standing here today who won't die till we have it." And what I really mean is next Thursday. It's just it doesn't make sense. It's a strange way of talking about a week. And I mean, none of them had died. It was only six days later, so I, I don't see that as something that Jesus is referring to. the uh, The second common way of understanding Matthew sixteen by some Christians and I, I'm a little more open to it but it's not my favorite position and that is in Acts chapter 2 in Acts chapter 2 we have the Holy Spirit uh, being poured out on the church the, the the Holy Spirit is described as the spirit of Christ uh, according to Romans chapter 8 that's what Paul calls the Holy Spirit uh, it is the Spirit of Christ and so in a way you could see that as being Christ coming back to his church in power, certainly. The Holy Spirit had come uh, in power to the church. And so some believe that that's what Jesus was referring to. Now, for a couple of reasons, I'm not real favorable to that way of understanding it. The primary reason why I'm not favorable to that is really sort of for the same reason as the other um, interpretation, and that is, Jesus seemed to suggest that there were some who would die before this happened. And in Acts chapter 2, the only one uh, who had died was Judas. And frankly, Judas wasn't even a member of the disciples any longer. He had defected from them um, the night that Jesus had been betrayed. He left their group. He was no longer part of Jesus' followers. Um, And he did hang himself prior to... Acts chapter 2 but he's the only one he's the only one who is gone and Jesus said there are some standing here who will who would not taste death and, and the implication I believe is that there are some who will have tasted death and um, Judas just doesn't fit that bill uh, in my opinion so I have a hard time seeing Acts chapter 2 as the fulfillment of this so what does it mean? Well, is Jesus referring to a second coming? And I gotta admit it, it sounds a little like it. You know, there's some standing here who won't taste this, so they see the Son of Man coming in his kingdom. He tells the Sanhedrin that they would see the Son of Man sitting at the right hand of the power and coming on the clouds of heaven. I mean that sounds like his second coming. But again, the problem was we can't read those words, I believe, through how you and I might understand them. Again, we have to try to understand what Jesus is referring to. Well, let me address the the idea, is Jesus referring to a second coming? First of all, I want to say that it's kind of out of context, in my opinion. Let's say in the Matthew 16 Uh, Reference for Jesus to be talking about his second coming to the disciples. And the reason why it's out of context is that uh, the disciples would have no frame of reference uh, to hang that. Uh, If Jesus suddenly started talking about his second coming, there's no way for them to even understand that because they don't understand he's leaving yet. They don't even understand that he's leaving for the first time, let alone coming back for the second time. Uh, let me explain what I mean. in In Mark chapter, Mark chapter eight. That's the parallel of Matthew sixteen. In other words, in Mark chapter eight, we have. Um, the same conversation that occurred in Ma- Matthew 16. In Mark chapter 9, we have the transfiguration, which is the parallel of Matthew 17. It's, it's, it's the same conversation. It's the same thing going on. And in Mark chapter 9, we have in, in, in around verse 30, Jesus begins to tell his disciples that he's going to uh, go down to Jerusalem, he's going to be betrayed, he's going to be killed, and then he's going to rise again. And then in verse 32 of Mark 9, it says, but they didn't understand this. I mean, they, they didn't get it. So they, he, he tells them very plainly, I'm going to die and resurrect, and they didn't understand that. So it's hard for me to believe, or it's hard for me to understand how Jesus would be talking about another return, not just his return from the grave, but eventually some return into the skies, when they don't even understand he's leaving yet. So it, that's, that's one problem I see with understanding Matthew 16 as his second coming. And, and the other one, while it's sort of along the same lines, in, in Acts chapter 1, when Jesus is about to ascend, when he's about to leave them, he takes them out of Jerusalem. He takes them um, up on the mountain, and uh, when he's doing this, the disciples ask him in, um, I think it's verse 6, they say in Acts chapter 1, they say to him, are, are you now going to restore the kingdom to Israel? And it's evident for me from that question is that the disciples at this point are still thinking that Jesus is going to restore the political glory of Israel. And they're asking him, now, are you going to restore Israel now? Are you, you, know, are you going to bring the kingdom to Israel? And they don't realize he's actually about to leave. And when he does leave, then we finally have the angels who appear and they tell him in verse 11 that he's going to come back in the same manner. So I think until Acts chapter 1, they don't realize Jesus is leaving. They don't realize he's coming back. Um, And so um, until Acts 1, they realize, I guess, he's coming back. So in Matthew 16, if Jesus is referring to his second coming... He's saying it without any kind of context for the disciples to understand it because they don't realize he's leaving. All right, so what did he mean? Well, I'll give you my thoughts. Um, In in Matthew 16, he said that they would see his coming. Now, the Greek word uh, for coming there is erkomahe or something like that. I'm not a Greek scholar. I'm just a guy with an internet. I can look it up, you know, just like you can look it up if you want to. It's Strong's number 2064. Uh, it's a It's just the regular word for coming, but we see that Jesus uses that word interesting in a couple other places uh, as he talks about coming his coming. And it's important, I think, to note those. Um, Several of them are found in Revelation chapter 2 and chapter 3. In Revelation chapter 2, we have Jesus dictating seven letters to seven different churches through the Apostle John. And he actually tells several of these churches that he's coming to them. But it's very interesting, the context. For example, in Revelation chapter 2, verse 5, he's talking to the church in Ephesus. And he tells them to repent. And he says, if you don't repent... I'm coming, or I will come to you quickly, is what he said. In um, chapter 2, verse 16, to the uh, church in Pergamos, he says, Repent, or else I will come to you. Again, it's the same simple Greek word. And, and in Revelation chapter 3, to the church in Sardis, he said the same thing. If you don't watch out, I'm going to come to you like a thief in the night. Um, so he's using this word, I'm going to come. But in each of those particular occasions, it's kind of a threat. You know, if you don't repent, I'm coming. If you don't, you don't straighten up. I'm coming. It kind of makes me, kind of envision a, you know, a mother yelling up to two of her sons that are upstairs in the bedroom fighting. You know, if you guys don't settle down there, I'm coming up there. Don't make me come upstairs. And that's what it seems that Jesus, how Jesus does occasionally use this word, I'm coming to you. But Jesus isn't the only one who uses this kind of language to describe let's say a, a judgment it's also found in the Old Testament in the Old Testament the prophets often talked about God coming uh, God coming to nations that needed judged or God even coming to Israel uh, for example in Isaiah 19 God warns of his uh, God warns through the prophet Isaiah that God was coming to Egypt. Now, God didn't literally show up uh, to Egypt or any of these other places that he warned. Rather, uh, an invading army showed up and that was seen by the prophets as God showing up, or God coming to them. Now, I believe that Jesus uh, spoke often like these Old Testament prophets did, and in in his refer- or in his letter to the churches in revelation i think he did just that he spoke like the old testament prophets i'm coming there if you don't turn around i'm coming incidentally all seven churches that he wrote to in the book of revelation are all gone so maybe in fact jesus did come to those churches and remove their lampstands just as he said that he would not through a, a literal coming but through uh, some sort of judgment and so i think it's quite possible that in Matthew 16 and also Matthew 26, when Jesus warned of his coming, he was not referring to his what you and I might call his second coming, but some other type of coming in judgment. The question is, what was the reference? What, what, what did he indicate? Well, here's my thinking. From the very beginning of the New Testament we have warnings of a coming judgment. Uh, it begins with John the Baptist in the New Testament. Uh, as he, he cried out to the people, he said, Even now the axe is laid at the root of the tree, and every tree that does not bear fruit shall be cut down and thrown into the fire. Into the fire? What's he talking about? He, he, I believe he's talking about some sort of coming judgment. And Jesus himself, over and over again, talked about, referred to some coming judgment. One of the best examples of the, of Jesus warning Israel, I believe, is in found in Luke chapter twenty in what is often described as the parable of the wicked vine dressers. Uh, the uh, parable told by Jesus describes a vineyard owner, and I think everyone understands this is God. Uh, having a vineyard, which is understood as Israel, and sending to uh, the vineyard workers, uh, servants, to collect what was due him. And I think almost everyone understands these workers as the prophets. He had sent it to them over and over to get what was due the vineyard owner. Finally, uh, and they had kicked each one out, and finally he decided to send his very son. And uh, when they saw the son, they decided to kill him. And Jesus asks a question that it answers. It isn't so what is the vineyard owner going to do? And he answers his own question in verse 41, saying he will destroy them. And I believe this is an indicator that Jesus was talking about a judgment against Israel uh, for their rejection of the Messiah. Now, what does all this mean? Well, I suspect that Jesus coming. Again, speaking like an Old Testament prophet, uh, his coming seen as a judgment, his frequent references, and the New Testament frequent references to coming judgment against Israel um, as being one and the same, that uh, Jesus was referring to a judgment against Israel. Now, unfortunately for us, the New Testament doesn't really describe what happened but history does um, in and around 66 AD something like that uh, the Jews began a revolt against Rome um, they had uh, some skirmishes against Rome I, I believe that they kind of um uh, celebrated some some short-lived victories against Rome, thought that they had they had this and they could overthrow Rome. But Rome sent uh, its entire army down uh, to to quell this uh, rebellion. And in seventy A.D., um, Rome marched against Jerusalem. Now they had actually started at the northern uh, side of Palestine, modern-day Palestine and had marched south. The Roman government did. And really enacted a scorched earth policy, just destroyed Israel, uh, destroyed towns, destroyed synagogues, uh, killed many uh, Jewish people. And you can read about this in um, you can, in The Jewish Wars, written by Josephus. He's a, a Jewish historian who survived the Holocaust and wrote about it. Uh, I have the book here in my library. Uh, it just goes on in very graphic detail what the Romans did to Israel. And in uh, the summer of uh, 70 AD, they surrounded Jerusalem. And Jesus predicted this was going to happen. In uh, Luke 21, Jesus said, When you see Jerusalem surrounded by armies, know that its desolation is near. <laughs> it's about time. And uh, they did. They, uh, they laid the city under siege. They cut it off and I think around September of uh, 70 AD Rome uh, breached the city gates uh, broke in and utterly destroyed Jerusalem the temple was dismantled stone for stone just as Jesus predicted and um, many many uh, Jews were slaughtered and those that were not slaughtered uh, were captured and uh, deported all over the known world now I suspect that this judgment uh, this this event I should say in um, in 70 AD may well have been the judgment that Jesus was referring to. Now, sure, he didn't come physically to Jerusalem. He didn't come physically to Israel in 70 AD. But he, speaking like a prophet, speaking like the Old Testament prophets often did, speaking as he did to the churches in the book of Revelation, he came in judgment through another vehicle. He came through another instrument. In this case, that instrument was the Roman government. Therefore, I believe that the references to Jesus' coming in both Matthew 16 and 26 were not to his second coming, but his coming in judgment to Israel. Now, that does fit what he described, because he said in Matthew 16, there are some here who will not taste death. And in A.D. 70, there were some disciples still alive. Uh, We believe John was still alive. He was uh, at least one of them. Uh, Some had already been killed. Uh, James was uh, martyred as early as Acts chapter 12. Uh, Peter is believed to have been martyred in A.D. 68. And so a number of the disciples had been killed, but a number of them still were alive. And therefore... It fits. In Matthew chapter 26 when Jesus told the Sanhedrin that they would see the Son of Man sitting at the right hand of power, coming in the clouds of heaven. Again, I don't believe this is a reference to his second coming. In Isaiah 19, which I referred to earlier, uh, verse 1, God is described as coming in the clouds against Egypt. Yet he didn't show up physically against Egypt. It was an army against the nation. And so I believe that Jesus, speaking like the Old Testament prophets, was talking about his coming in judgment, not a literal coming. Now incidentally, uh, Brent, who raised the first question, also cited a passage out of Malachi of the Old Testament. Uh, Malachi chapter 3 and verse 2, but who can endure the day of His coming? Who can stand when He appears? And and. Uh, Brent had pointed out that this can't be his first or his second coming because none of it fits. And I actually agree with him. It can't be. But I believe it's a reference to the very same thing that I described. That this uh, passage in Malachi uh, in chapter 3 is a warning against Israel that God was going to judge that nation. And I believe that 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 judgment occurred in 70 AD. And uh, that, I believe, fits the prophecies. You see, after looking at these passages and trying to understand what the speakers intended, trying to understand what the writers intended using their language, I think we can come up with a way of understanding what Jesus meant. I don't believe, as I said earlier, that this is a prophecy about his second coming, rather it's something else. And what's interesting is, if it is the judgment of Israel in 70 AD, then his words fit perfectly. The prophecy lines up. And therefore, I have every reason to continue my trust in the words of Jesus, my continued trust in him that he is in fact God's man. If it were any other way, I wouldn't be a Christian. It's as simple as that. I want to thank you for joining me today. I want to thank you for listening and uh, tagging along. If you've got an objection, feel free to register it on, um, on my Facebook page or on my uh, own website. If you've got a question and you want to submit it, you can do the same thing. Just uh, get on my contact form and uh, send me your, request, your question or objection or uh, something like that. So I'm interested in knowing how people think. And that's what we do at The Thinking Christian. This is Dane Kramer. I'm going to sign out and I hope to see you next time.